Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Teo Palazzeri from the uh, A-League commentary team on Paramount and he's involved in various uh, football podcasts as well, including the National Curriculum, is with us here on SEN. Evening to you, Teo. How's things? Jordan, we're talking and the sun is up. This is unprecedented times <laughs> for two hosts of the overnight crowd. I know. <laughs> yeah, Teo is, a, is an SEN alum for those, uh, for those wondering and uh, many years spent on the overnights. I did my fair share as well. So, it's, yeah, I look out the window and it's, uh, there's sunshine outside, Teo, which is, which is unusual. It is unusual. How are things, though? What do we want to talk about? There's been a bit happening in uh, in the world of football this morning. We had the Ballon d'Or. We had the Asian Cup announcement for the new hosts, which uh, I'll chat about in a moment, and then the uh, continuation of uh, of the leagues as well as we come up to the hiatus in a few weeks for the World Cup. But uh, let's start off with um, the events from this morning and the, the Ballon d'Or. We'll start off with the Australian angle because Sam Kerr, who was nominated for the Ballon d'Or as the best player in Europe, uh, well, where did she finish up and, uh, and who finished on the podium for the women's Ballon d'Or? Yeah, and not totally unexpected, I think, for those that have followed women's football closely, but a, a real genuine shock for the more casual fans that might see the headlines or the clips or hear the hype uh, or, or maybe just sort of follow the news sources that are perhaps staffed by fans with keyboards rather than impartial journalists. And I think there was a lot of parochialism around Sam Kerr's push, and, and for the very good reason that this was her year, if she was going to win it, the reigning holder, Alexia Pateas, had just missed uh, the women's Euros with a torn ACL. But it seems as though the strength of her club season, playing for the Barcelona team that won all 30 of their league games and had a ridiculous goal difference of more than 100 uh, and made it to the Women's Champions League final was enough to get her over the line. And uh, Australia is left to lament that uh, we are still yet to win the world's biggest prize for men or women. Do you think the uh, the selection of Alexia Pateas as the Ballon d'Or, was, was that the popular uh, way to go? Uh, look, I think that Beth Mead's performances for England during the Women's Euros winning player of the tournament was a more compelling case, even though she didn't have a great club season and maybe someone like Alexandra Pock who uh, scored six goals and lifted Germany into the final only to miss the final injured but the key is she didn't play at all during club season because she was rehabbing an injury. So like, I'm talking about a fairly thin field here where a consistent performer like Sam Kerr had every opportunity. But I think what was damning for Kerr is Chelsea went out of the Women's Champions League in the group stage and Pateas' Barcelona went all the way to the final. And also the voting system changed this year. Only the top 50 nations in the FIFA rankings got to vote and the vast majority of those are based in Europe. Kerr was actually the only player from the Asian Football Confederation that was on the 20-player shortlist, and there was only one player from Africa, only one player from South America. So uh, this award skews very European, and, of course, the United States are the reigning world champion, and I don't think they had a player in the top six or seven. So 
clearly Europe dominates uh, this award. And I think there is, Jordan, just a little bias against players that play for English clubs as well, which has been borne out very much so in the men's award over the last 50 years as well. Just to clarify, so the Ballon d'Or is uh, the, the actual criteria for, for winning the Ballon d'Or or being nominated. Is it playing in Europe or is it worldwide? No restrictions. It is worldwide. It used to only be for players from Europe until the mid-90s, which is why if you look at the record books, say in 1986, Diego Maradona doesn't win. It's because it was only for European players. But it's that history and that prestige, which is what makes it such a big award compared to, say, the FIFA best, which, let's not forget, Sam Kerr may also be a chance of winning. And that's when we'll get the uh, the Puskas Award for the best goal scored in football in the last calendar year and things like that. So it's worth remembering that France Football, the, uh, the newspaper slash magazine, runs the Ballon d'Or. But a little bit like how every year we debate the Brownlow Medal being voted on by the umpires rather than you know, a different group of ex-players or journalists or you know an appointed committee. You know, the prestige and the history and the way it is voted for are all intertwined as one. Without the voting system, you don't have the prestige and the history that's attached to the award. Do you find it a little uh, warped, maybe, that we talk about the performance of the team that the player is in rather than the the feats or the ability of the player themselves? So, I mean, no doubt Alexia Pateas is an amazing player. She is, she, you know... She's been voted as the Ballon d'Or winner multiple times now, and a lot of people do think she is actually the best player in the world. But off, off the back of what you've just said and, and outlined the seasons that each player has had, uh, I do feel like around the Ballon d'Or, not just for the women, but the men as well, which we'll chat about in a second, which is actually the men probably uh, are more to what I'm talking about is talking about the players' um, ability. But we do talk a lot about the team, what the team has achieved throughout the season when talking about an individual award. Yeah, but I mean, we, we're, we're coming to the end of the era where Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Leo Messi have just been, um, you know, irresistible forces as individuals within a team sport. And so I think the level of expectation that if you are the best player in the world, you can put a team on your back and carry them like the way, say, Messi did getting Argentina to the 2014 Men's World Cup final. I think it's not completely unfair to say if you are supposedly the best player in the world, you should be able to lift your team to a great achievement, even if you have great teammates. And, and you mentioned Pateas, her teammate Aitana Bonmati of Barcelona was fifth. So in theory, that team does have the advantage of having two of the best five players in the world, at least as far as the Ballon d'Or is concerned. But you can't help but think that if Sam Kerr even has an average game rather than a below average game, Australia beats Korea in the Asian Cup, and all of a sudden we're in a final with a 50-50 shot of winning it against Japan. And if Kerr is standing on the dais, holding up the Asian Cup trophy back in January, I think her case is far stronger. And also the ability for us to say she was robbed would also uh, ring far truer. Now to the men's Ballon d'Or, Karim Benzema from France and, uh, and Real Madrid, he took out the, ba- the Ballon d'Or at the age of 34 in, uh, in what is really the, the peak of his career. He's, he was, he's always been a, a world-class striker at Real Madrid, but tailed away for a few seasons there when he was reaching his 30s. Um, there was talk that he might be transferred out of Real Madrid. They held on to him, and since then, he's, he's, his second peak now that he's currently in the middle of, uh, probably as the world's best striker right now, is, I would think, higher than the peak he reached in his 20s when he was also considered one of the best strikers in the world. He's taken out the Ballon d'Or. Sadio Mane and Kevin De Bruyne were 
uh, second and third from uh, from Bayern Munich and Manchester City, respectively. The Asian representation was there as well. Son Hyun Min finished 11th. Uh, the South Korean who plays for Tottenham, but for Karim Benzema, this is one of the uh, this is one of my favourite stories from this era of football. Is, is his second wave and just how good he has been, and in particular when he carried or helped. Uh, I won't say carried because they're a gun team, but helped Real Madrid to winning the Champions League last season. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and I think some of the reasons for this second peak include the fact that the, the blackmail uh, criminal case which was taken against him, uh, which ran for years and it, it quite clearly affected his play. It's almost like he's making up for the lost time uh, as that hung over his career for a number of seasons. And he was also exiled from the French national team during that time as well and now has made peace with Didier Deschamps, the national manager, and is going to be a key pillar of France's attempts to retain the World Cup. So it's almost like, you know, we know that Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, uh, players playing into their mid to late 30s have shown what is possible with modern sports science. It also perhaps replicates what Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal have done in tennis. You know, the idea of a career uh, curtailing and winding down in your early 30s is, is now no longer an idea. And it's worth remembering that the exuberance of youth surrounds Benzema in that Real Madrid team because he has Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo, the two Brazilians that are able to you know, combine in a devastating front three. And he is the centrepiece that finishes so many of the chances that they create. And, and he is perhaps the, the most obvious and deserving winner now that the Messi versus Ronaldo annual debate has finally subsided. Yeah, it's it's over, isn't it? Ronaldo wasn't anywhere near the top 10. I think he was just outside the 20, and Messi wasn't on the leaderboard at all. So is that it? Are we done? Is that Ronaldo-Messi over? It's kind of sad. It is kind of sad, especially if one of them goes on to win the World Cup in Qatar because the next award won't be voted on until the end of the next club season. So Messi would have to come back to PSG and, and potentially win the Champions League and as we know, Ronaldo's form at Manchester United isn't going to win him any individual awards again, I would suggest, because he's not even starting for them, unless uh, Eric Ten Hag's hand is forced by injury or suspension. So, yes, that era is over, but I think it's exciting for football because yeah. while Benzema wins as a 34-year-old now, we're about to embark on a new era of new names and new faces, and yeah, the likes of a Vinicius Junior could be the man standing on that podium this time next year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, the um, uh, with the, the sentiment that it's it's exciting for football now because it, you know previous years you'd look at the Ballon d'Or leaderboards if you're just going off Ballon d'Or and you'd see Ronaldo and Messi in the top two in any order, and then it feels like the rest of the the leaderboard beneath them were a rung below. But now you look across and there's a nice good spread of of world class players, and yeah, Vinicius and Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe will be the next generation. Teo, before I let you go, um, the uh, decision to... Uh, well, the, the Asian Cup had to be recast. Its host uh, was going to be China, I believe, for the start of next season uh, or the start of the next calendar year. Uh, had to be uh, redone because they're not going there. And Qatar was picked as the host for the Asian Cup, um, slated for 2023, maybe 2024. But after all we've had over the last decade of Qatar and... Um, you know, we're all looking forward to the World Cup, but obviously there is a pretty serious undertone to, to all the misdemeanours that the nation has committed uh, leading up to Qatar. Does it, uh, ha, does it, are you as confounded as I that uh, the AFC have gone and approved that Qatar will host the Asian Cup, another tournament in a couple of months? I'm not, because Qatar has been both FIFA and the AFC's get-out-of-jail-free card all through the pandemic, hosting World Cup qualifiers as neutral venues. They they even hosted 
New Zealand and Oceania World Cup qualifying and New Zealand's match against Costa Rica to try and qualify for the World Cup. They've essentially been under the pressure of hosting a World Cup and needing to literally sports wash public opinion have, have picked up the tab for a whole lot of things that FIFA and AFC needed a, a bailout for and the Asian Cup is the latest in a long line. All I can say is the soccer is record in Qatar is pretty good, stretching all the way back to the 2011 Asian Cup, which Qatar hosted, where, of course, Australia made the final and lost in extra time to Japan. So it's uh, off in the distance. We don't know who's going to be coaching the Socceroos. We don't know if generational change will have swept through. I think the feeling is the tournament's going to be moved to January 2024, Mm -hmm. and it won't be held in June 2023. It'll actually be pushed back another six months. So watch out for that. But uh, you know what, Jordan? We're going to hold our nose and, and grin and bear it and watch the World Cup. Uh, coming up in a couple of months, and I guess we'll do it again for the Asian Cup as well. Tao, it's always good chatting to you. Uh, enjoy the rest of the daylight <laughs> as I let you go, and uh, thank you for joining us. We'll, we'll chat soon on SEN. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Tao Palazzeri with us here on the Macca's Run this Tuesday evening on SEN, A-League commentator with Paramount. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.